as we finish out this summer hit series, we save the best for last. No, it's, it, no, it was desperation. I say I was, I was fifth choice. No, I'm just kidding. But it is good to be a part of this and we get to share uh, what I, one of my favorite verses or two verses in the Bible. And what these two verses tell us is the point about life. Wouldn't you know about? Don't 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 you want to know about what the point of life is? Why we're here? What our purpose is? I like to know the point of anything that I do. Who wants to do anything that's pointless? Okay. Pointless, there'll be times I'm driving around or maybe I'm watching something on TV and I'll look at that and I'll think, what is the point? My oldest daughter, she would, all through the years, she was very uh, inquisitive and she would often ask me things and say, okay, what's the point of that? And sometimes I didn't have an answer because uh, I didn't know what the point was either, but I realized I want to know the point. So I started thinking, what are some pointless things? What are some things that really have no point? So if you saw me walking around with this hairbrush, okay, what would, I mean, you may not tell me because you don't want to be offensive, but you might say, uh, whisper to your spouse, what's the point of him carrying a hairbrush? I have not, I had to get Lori to give me one of these because I've not had a hairbrush since I started this really cool haircut like 10 years ago. There's no need for this. There's no point. It's just a waste, okay? I hope I didn't break it because I don't know whose brush that actually is. Um, but here's the deal. We want to know what the point is. Now, I've had my children say this, and I've said this too. They'll be taking certain classes in high school, and they'll ask me, what is the point? Okay? And as someone who just finished their doctoral work, I'll tell you what the point of some of those classes in high school are. I still have no idea, okay? I don't know why I took pre-cal. I never used pre-cal. Other than, you know, it teaches you discipline and how to learn. But some of those things you, you think, why am I learning this? I'm never going to do anything with that. I, I saw a sign the other day that was out on a dirt road. I saw it online. The, not the dirt road. Well, I guess I did, but the sign. And it was a sign that said, this sign is not in use. Okay, it makes you wonder, like, what's the point? Why are you making a sign that says the sign is not in use? Why not just not put a sign up? Well, then recently, this is in honor of my wife, Lori. Recently, I had something come up that uh, comes up every time we move, okay? Every time we move, since we've been married, there's two or three of these boxes that follow us everywhere we go. They're, they're heavy. They're about the size of a copier. You know, you find copier paper. So you have these boxes and I lug them up in the attic of the new house and set them there. And you know, the next time I see them is when I lug them back down when we move, okay? I don't think she's ever looked at these since we've been married. I have dusted them off a few times. So maybe you're wondering what is in there that is so precious and valuable that we're hauling from house to house. I'll tell you, it's all her college notes and papers from A&M in the 90s, okay? We are not going to get rid of those because... Even though she hasn't looked at them since 1998, she might. They might be practical. Right, Lori? <laughs> so I was reminded when we moved down here a few weeks ago, guess what I lugged up in the attic? Well, I didn't. I sent it. If she was in the attic. I took them up to her. But same thing. Here we got, we got these big cases. And so it makes me want to say, what's the point? I mean, I don't understand it. Even Jesus, if you looked over to the um, book of Matthew, uh, chapter 6. He's talking to the crowds, and he's talking about the senselessness, senselessness of worrying about tomorrow, not being anxious about tomorrow, not worrying about things that have yet to come. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27. He says, 
Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Basically, Jesus is saying, why? It's pointless. It's pointless to worry. It's pointless to be anxious. There is no point. So we want to really focus in and zero in today on what is the point. What are the decisions we can make? What are the things that we can do that are really, really important, that really God wants for all of us? And we find that in what many people recognize as the great commandment. And there are several different places in the Bible you can find these scriptures, but we're going we're gonna to drill down here in Mark, Mark 12, verse 30 and 31. Let me read these, this scripture to you. It'll be familiar to you. It says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Nothing. Now notice this is called the great commandment, not the great suggestion, not the great, hey, here's an idea. It's a great commandment. It's something that God expects us to do. Now, many of you, uh, probably everybody that drove to church this morning passed a speed limit sign. So do you consider that a guideline or a commandment? It's a guideline, let's be honest. No, that's a whole different sermon series, okay? But I have to be honest, I kind of look at that like, eh, well, as long as I'm in the ballpark, okay? It's meant to be a commandment, okay? It's not a, it's not a guideline, it's not a suggestion, like, hey, if you get a chance, go 55. No, that's not. And that's the same thing with this. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, hey, if you don't have anything else to do, do this. Hey, when I was a kid, uh, you know, of course I had chores, but I was really black and white in the way I uh, related to my parents a lot. You know, I, you had to be very specific if you wanted me to do things. I didn't read between the lines. I wanted to, you know, give clear expectations. So my parents might say something like this. Have you thought about taking out the garbage? I'd say, yes, I have thought about taking out the garbage. Have you taken it? No, you just said you wanted me to think about it, and I thought about it, and I, you know... So that was what they were trying to say is we want you to take out the garbage, not are you going to think about it? Well, this here has that same kind of feel. It's a commandment. It's not like, hey, if you don't have anything better to do, why don't you love God and why don't you love people? No, it is something specific that he wants us to do. It's an expectation. Uh, a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago now, you know, we had the Pirates of the Caribbean, the first movie come out. And when those pirates were dealing with each other, you know, as you know, they're all criminals and crooked, but when they dealt with each other, they had a code, a pirate code that you didn't break. Well, it came a, came a point in the movie where someone, one of the pirates, broke the pirate code. And one of the pirates said, Well, it's more like a guideline, okay? It's not really a code. This is a code, this is a command, this is not optional for us. And it's also important to know when it says, You shall love the Lord, that you is is not plural. It's not saying, hey, you guys love the Lord. No, it's saying you and you and you individually. We are to love God and love people. That is the summation of the whole point of life. So we're going to dig into it here in just a moment and learn what that is. How do we love God and how do we love people? What are some practical ways? Because you know, the God of all the universe loves us. I mean, that's pretty awesome. The God of all the universe loves us. And so we ought to love him back. And it's interesting, these words, uh, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, those come from the Old Testament. Those are part of the Old Testament law. So the Old Testament law, 
you know, Jesus came to fulfill the law when he came to earth. I was taught younger that Jesus came to abolish the law. That's not exactly right. He came to fulfill it. He came to raise the bar. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, it says, do not murder. I still think that's a good one. I hope you all follow that one too. But you know, when Jesus came, he raised the bar. He said, not only should you not murder, you shouldn't even have those things in your heart. You shouldn't even think about those things. So Jesus raised the bar with what he said in the New Testament. And so it's the same thing here. I think what Jesus is about to do is he's saying, hey, love God and love your neighbor like you already know from the Old Testament, but we're, we're fixing to raise the bar here in a moment. And I'm fixing to show you, that's what Jesus is saying, I'm fixing to show you what all that entails. It's fixing to expand. It's not that you don't have to do that anymore. It's that you do that, plus we're going to raise the bar on what I expect of you as a follower of God. These words should be etched, these, these commands should be etched in every part of our lives. Love God and love people. So let's look at the first part. We're going to talk about loving God. How do we love God? By the way, loving God supersedes loving others. They're both important, but loving God is most significant. If you really want to be better at loving other people, you want to love God first. We can't love people the way God wants us to unless we love God. I mean, I remember uh, Pastor Damon Shook, who used to be the pastor at Champion Forest. Uh, one of the things I heard him say uh, on a video when he was talking about he and his wife, he said, I can't love my wife the way I need to. I can only do it by Christ loving her through me. And it's when we have that right relationship with God, we can love others just the way that God wants us to. But let's dig in and look at what, let me give you four ways that we can show we can love God with all that we have. How do we do it? Number one, this is the most important. You commit your life to Christ. Okay, many of us have already done that. But if you really want to show your love to God, you commit your life to Christ. You repent and you believe. That's what they, they tell us, uh, the early church tells us in the book of Acts. Over in Acts 20, uh, verse 21, it says, They were teaching of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Repentance means you turn to God and you confess your sin, you confess Jesus as Lord, and you believe Jesus is who he said he was. He, he died for us. He was the son of God. He died for us. He rose again, and now he reigns in heaven beside God the Father. It's the most important decision you can make, and until you make that decision, all these other things I'm about to talk about don't matter until you connect your life to God through Jesus Christ. A part of that, committing our life to Christ, that includes accepting forgiveness, some of us, when we sin, we just we have a hard time accepting forgiveness. We want to hold guilt and, and uh, condemn ourselves. Well, here's what the Bible says in Acts 2.38. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. We're to repent and be baptized because God, we trust God that he has forgiven us of our sins. Amen. Book of Romans tells us that there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He's not there to condemn us. He loves us and forgives us and wants, him, wants us to be part of his family. So that's the number one way that we show our love to God is we commit our lives to him. Secondly, the way we love God is by continually surrendering your, yourselves to God's plan. We continually surrender ourselves to God's plan. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's two words that come to mind. One is humility. None of us like that word, but we are called to humble ourselves before God. 
That humbling ourselves means we're putting God before ourselves. Now, a simple definition of humility is this. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Okay? It's putting him before you. That's what humility is. It's also worth noting that the Bible never tells us to ask God to humble us. We're to humble ourselves. Okay? Now, God might humble us through circumstances, but we're to humble ourselves. We're to put God before us. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 uh, says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We're to humble ourselves before God. So, so part of continually surrendering to God is humility. The other part is obedience. Okay? That's one of the ways we continually surrender to God. We obey his commands. We obey what, what he tells us to do. That's what a relationship is. That's one of the ways we show love to God. You know, it's, it tells us in that scripture that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we could really dig into those four words, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what it really is saying with everything you are, everything about you, you are to love God. And part of that is a continually surrendering humility, obedience to him. In fact, in 1 Samuel um, 15, 22, the Bible says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. What that's saying is not that sacrifice is not important, giving of our time or money or whatever. No, but what's most important is that we are obedient to his command. It's continual, continual surrender. Okay, so we commit our lives to him. We continually surrender to him. Third, a way that we show love to God is by spending time with God. You know, you got to get to know him. The more you know him, the more that you're going to become like him. Jesus, over uh, Matthew 14, 23, said this. After he, Jesus, had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That's, that's modeling prayer for us. I mean, this is the Son of God going off to pray to spend time with God. That's what we need to have in our life. You know, um, one of the ways that we show love to one another is spending time with one another. That's because that's a big investment, our time. It's important. I love it when my, when my girls come home or we're all home at the same time. Even if we're not doing something in the same room, I just love to spend time with them. It's a precious commodity. And the more time we spend with God, he wants us, he, he, which he desires, the more we're going to become like him. You know, Lori and I, the more that we've spent time together, we get to, we've, known each, we've gotten to know each other really, really well. We've been married 22 years, and uh, it's only seemed like 40. No, I'm just kidding. We've been married 22 years, and it's been, it's been great to see how we've gotten to know each other. She knows what I'm going to say before I say it often. And the same way. She knows she doesn't laugh at my jokes anymore. She just rolls her eyes. So the reactions change. But the, the, the premise is that we know each other because we spent so much time together. God values that. God values our time. It shows our commitment to him. It's a way that we show that we love him. And we spend time in prayer and in his word. By the way, this word here is amazing. Sometimes we take it for granted. But this is the only piece of truth that we have. All right? This has always been the truth. It is the truth, and it always will be the truth. Years ago, I did a study in, in seminary and realized that scientific facts often change. I looked up the definition of scientific facts and realized that a scientific fact is a fact until it's not anymore. Okay? 
But we'll never say that about God's word. It's always going to be true. And so part of us spending our time with him is in his word. Okay, so here's what we got. We commit to him. We daily surrender to him. We spend time with him. And fourth, uh, often our least favorite, is we enthusiastically give to God financially. We give to him, realizing, realizing that everything we have is because of him. Okay, 100% of it. He lets us keep about 90 or whatever. Isn't that pretty cool? And you might say, well, no, 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 Brett. I went and got my medical degree, and I'm a doctor now. I earned all that. Yeah, yeah, but who allowed you to do that? Who gave you the intellect? Who gave you the ability to do all that? It was God. And all he asked is like, hey, why don't you give 10% back? Or he didn't say it like that. They give, give a tithe back. That's what we're asking from you. Malachi 3.8 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, or your tithes and your offerings. See, this is, way it, this is one of the ways we show that we love God, is by giving to him. And I'm a firm believer, like, giving a tithe is really the starting point. It's not our, by the way, it's not our church dues, like, oh, man, we've got to pay our church dues. Here it is again, okay? No, it's we're to give enthusiastically. That's why I put that in there. It's to give enthusiastically, excited to see what God is going to do. And a tithe is really a starting point, okay? It's something you commit to, but that's just the, that's the, that's the bottom. We're to work our way up and, um, and, and just give faithfully and look to see what God's going to do. One of the commitments Lori and I made uh, years ago is as we've had ups and downs financially through our marriage, like everybody does, we, we decided we're going to give faithfully no matter what. We might be in debt to some people, but we're never going to be in debt to God. We're going to make sure that we stay up and we're going to give faithfully as he has commanded us to give. We want to do that with enthusiasm and excitement. And, and what that shows is how important God is. We make him a priority. There's more verses in the Bible on giving than almost any other subject because that's how important it is. And if God gave us his son, the least we can do is properly steward the resources that he's given us. And it shows our love to God. It shows our love to him. That's how we love God. Committing to him, spending time with him, uh, being uh, humble, um, and spending time, you know, away from, not away from him, but away from others, just investing in our time with him, and then really giving to him, giving to him. That matters. So I love what Tony Evans had to say, Dr. Tony Evans. He said this, to love God is to passionately pursue his glory with your entire being, okay? That's what we've been talking about, everything that we are. But to love your neighbor, which is what we're going to talk about next, is to decide to compassionately and righteously seek his or her well-being. Okay, so we're shifting now. We've talked about how we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now we're moving to how we love our neighbor. And how important is love? Well, you, if you're familiar with the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us everything, everything that love looks like. But here, I love this first verse of 1 Corinthians 13, 1. And here's what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I rolled out a big gong out here and just kind of kept beating on that for five minutes, that's how useless my words are or my actions if I don't have love. 
Love is important. Love is a priority, not only to God, but to loving our neighbor. Without love, again, what's the point? Now, this is where we see Jesus kicking it up, because he's going to address who's, the, who's our neighbor, okay? He is talking, he's having this interaction with these religious leaders, and if you look over in Luke, when he's talking about loving your neighbor, this religious leader asked him, okay, who's my neighbor? Almost wonder if he, he was asking like, okay, before I commit to loving my neighbor, can you tell me who they are before I'm all in? Because let me put it in context, context that before, before, from the Old Testament, when God said, love your neighbor, it was all you Jews love your neighboring Jews. Okay? Jews love Jews. Jesus is fixing to raise the bar to tell him, now here's what your neighbor is. And over in the book of Luke, when he says, now who's, here's your neighbor, what story does he tell? The good Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews, there's a big racial divide there. There was a lot of animosity, a lot of hate. So what does Jesus say? Okay, now I've raised the bar. These people you can't stand, that's your new neighbor. That's the people you're going to love. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, uh, how that was accepted by the Jews. But Jesus raised the bar on the expectation. In fact, Galatians 6.10, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Not some, but do good to everyone, especially those who are part of the household of faith. So let's do good to everyone. You know who that includes? Everyone. All right, there, there are no, I don't care the, what the political views are, uh, the, the ethnicity, the class, the whatever. It doesn't matter. We're to treat everybody with love and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. So let me give you some ways that we do that. Okay, how do we love our neighbor as ourself? Now, number one is this, we spend time with others. We talked about spending time with God. We also want to spend time with others. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Now, notice when it says look carefully, it means really evaluate how you're spending your time. What are you doing with your time? Do you have time for other people, or are you so busy you don't have time for anybody? If God brings something across your path, do you have time for it? Do you have time to help out? Or are you just so overly committed? Years ago, when I was a worship pastor, on Sunday mornings, for a worship pastor anyway, it's really busy, it's very chaotic, you've got multiple services, and I would often get caught by this lady at our church. This is when I was uh, up at this other church down the road. I'd get caught by this lady who wanted to come up and give me a hug, which is great. Uh, But she'd also want to talk, and she would eat up my time. And I had this attitude for years that you know, I, don't, I need to avoid this lady on Sunday morning because I got all these things I need to get done. Well, it come to a, came to a certain point where she caught me on a particular Sunday and she said, Pastor Brett, do you know why I love to get hugs on, from you on Sunday? I said, no. She said, because it's the only hug I get all week. That totally changed my perspective. And I realized I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to miss those opportunities to love people and to minister to people because I have stuff to do. I want to make sure I have time for others. Jesus had time for others. Over in uh, Matthew 9, Jesus is on his way to visit Jairus' daughter who's died. He was going to minister to that family. 
And on his way, a woman who had a long-term hemorrhaging issue, you know, she was really ill. She reached out and grabbed Jesus' robe. And what did he do? He said, hey, get, hey, I'm busy. I can't deal with you right now. I've got an appointment. No, no. He stopped in his tracks and he ministered to her. He loved her. In fact, he didn't say, woman, what you want? No, he, was, he used the word daughter. And in Greek, that's a term of endearment. He, he gave her value. And he let that interruption be an opportunity for ministry, to love people. And so if we were to love our neighbor as ourselves, we got to take those interruptions and we have to look at those as ministry opportunities. Years ago, and I, well, I still do this, I watch football a lot, but my, uh, one of my daughters, uh, I overheard her one particular week when I was in there watching football on a Sunday afternoon. She said, I think, to my wife at the time, I mean, that didn't come out right. I still have the same wife. She said at the time to my wife, let me make sure I get that right, so there's no confusion. Um, Lori was like, that's news to me. Um, she, she, I overheard her say to Lori, hey, I need to wait till commercial. He doesn't want me to talk to him during the game. And then God just used that to think, hey, let's, I got a pause button. No, even if I didn't have a pause button, I was, I was like, this, she's more important than a game. I don't want to miss those opportunities. I want to make sure I put people before secondary stuff. And God had used that just to really challenge me. So we need to be, spend time with people. We need to listen when we're there. Uh, that means when you talk to people, look them in the eyes like you're listening. Nothing's worse than talking to somebody and they're kind of, while you're talking, they're over there waving to people and stuff like that. Really give people your full attention. That shows that we love our neighbor as ourself. By the way, when we say as ourself, that means that we normally, the tendency of all of us is selfishness. We always, we're always first. And the goal of loving your neighbor as yourself is making sure they become first, which is really hard to do. So with that first point, um, spending time with others, do people around you look at you and say, that's a person that loves to spend time with others. He makes time for other people. The second way that we love people, that we love our neighbor, is this, by being radically generous. Oh, there's this generous thing again. Look at this, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. Here's what Paul says to uh, Timothy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. It says they're to be ready to share, that means prepared. In other words, be looking for opportunities where you can help somebody. You know what that word, that uh, phrase ready, ready to share actually means in Greek? It means ready to share. Isn't that mind-blowing? It means be ready to share. That's what we are to do when it comes to generosity. We've been blessed so not only that we can enjoy it, but blessed also to bless others. We've been called to bless others. Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Pray that God will give you opportunities to give, to share with somebody else. I mean, Lori and I, we always look for opportunities to do this. Years ago, we started, outside of our church giving, we started what we call a giveaway fund every month. And so we just, we set that money aside, and we look for opportunities that God will bring across our path to give and to help somebody out kind of planning for that. And then if we don't use it, uh, we just add it to our church giving. But it, it helped put that in a good frame of reference of how to handle 
our money, not only to God, but in serving and loving other people. It's important. It's important. Uh, one of the things we started a number of years ago, every time we go to HEB um, and get our once a week big grocery trip, we always get two $10 Chick-fil-A cards and we give one to the cashier, one to the, the person sacking the groceries. And it's, it's, that's not meaning that's what you should do, but it's just have the mindset of you're looking for opportunities to bless people, looking for opportunities to love your neighbor. So do people around you look at, look at you seeing generous? Do they see you as generous? Do they look at you and say, man, I don't know what's going on. I don't know much about that person, but they sure are generous. They just, they, they give, give, give. Number three, we're to exemplify humility. First Peter 5, 5 um, says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want to go against God? Have a life of pride. Okay? It doesn't say God just doesn't like pride. He said he opposes it. He's against it. So humble yourselves to one another. And that means putting others first. Here's how Paul explains it in Philippians 2.4. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, look for ways you can serve others. Put your, put your preferences aside. Put theirs ahead of yours. So, see, the more mature we are as believers, the more that we're willing to give up good things for the benefit of others. I developed this, uh, put up this definition of spiritual maturity. I developed this a number of years ago. Uh, it's not mind-blowing, but it's pretty straightforward. And it says this, spiritual maturity is when one is strong in faith and weak in preferences. What does that mean? Well, when I developed this, I was a worship pastor. So what it meant for me is, hey, we all have different preferences, and that's okay when it came to music. But the more we mature as a believer, we're less concerned about what we get out of it and more concerned about what can we do to help others get, you know, where it can bless them. Because the more we mature, our preferences go away for the benefit of those who are less mature or maybe they're not believers. We don't care when it's, what's in it for us. Humility is the antidote to pride. Whenever you're feeling prideful, find a way that you can put others first. Practice that. So, do people around you consider you to be humble? When they look at you, it's like, man, that's a humble guy. That's a humble lady. Are we doing that? That's how we show love to others. Number four, when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself, we're to build bridges. Paul tells us we're to be people of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means we actively pursue building with relationships with people that are different than we are. Okay? Again, they might believe something totally different, might be a different religion, whatever it is, we build bridges and connect with them. We're to be, be pursuers of peace. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, strive for peace with those that you like. No, strive for peace with everyone, with everyone. Jesus said over in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peace makers. What's a peacemaker? It's someone who makes peace, okay? You might, in case you can't remember that, a peacemaker makes peace. It's active. A peacekeeper, on the other hand, is someone who is passive, okay? Peacekeeping is what I try to do at some of my family reunions, okay? We're just like, okay, can we just kind of hope nothing blows up and we can get out of here unscathed? Just keep the peace. Don't stir anything up, all right? That's peacekeeping. Peacemaking is what we're called to be. 
where we pursue, we try to build bridges with other people and connect because we love them. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. And then number five, the last one on how we love others is this. Offer forgiveness. Now, this might be tough sometimes, depending on what has happened in your life. Maybe you've been hurt. You've been wounded. Uh, I don't know your history, uh, but maybe you have scars from something that happened to you recently or a long time ago. God doesn't tell us to forget that pain. That pain's still there. He doesn't tell us to automatically retrust a person. Trust has to be earned. But what he does say is we have to forgive. We, we can't hold on to grudges. And then this scripture here is key uh, from Ephesians 4.31. Here's what Paul says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We've been forgiven for far more than we will ever probably um, even realize. But because we've been forgiven, we ought to remember we need to forgive others. We, can, we need to forgive others. It's the way we show our love. That's the way we show our love. So um, as we get ready to begin here in a minute, or close here in a minute, not begin. <laughs> that was, that's scary, isn't it? We get ready to close here in a minute. I want you to just think about this. Where are you? What's the point? The point is loving God and loving people. And just as a reminder, the most important point of everything I said today is your commitment to Christ. Your commitment to Christ. Where are you on that? Now I want to throw this, uh, I kind of reworded this verse, the great commandment, and I made it more personal. I want to put this on the screen. I want us to read it together because it is a personal declaration from us. Will you stand and just read this with me? We're going to read this out loud this morning. Say it with me. And I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I will love my neighbor as myself. Let's say that one more time and just say it out loud. And I will love the Lord my God with all my heart. Guys, none of the other elements matter if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love what Pastor John Wills said a couple weeks ago. He said, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. God wants you to spend it with him. I want you to spend it. I want you to be part of the family of God if you've never made that decision before. If you've not given your life to him must repent and confess and believe and maybe those words sound complicated but in a minute when we sing if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ we can help walk you through that process we'll have some people down front some prayer partners that would love to talk to you and help you discover your spiritual journey but then maybe you've already known Christ okay for a long time and these points that we talked about, there was four ways we talked about loving God and five ways we talked about loving our neighbor. You can't work on all those at the same time, but maybe God convicted you of one or two of those. And during this time of commitment, maybe just spend some time between you and God, just praying and asking him to help you. Hey, I need to grow in my generosity. I need to grow in 
humility. I need to start carving out more time to make sure that I can spend it with others and love my neighbor as myself. That is our goal. That is our goal. That is our whole purpose, to love God and to love others. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the love that you gave us. I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. John 3, 16 tells us the sacrifice. You loved us so much that you gave your son for us so we could have eternal life. Father, I desire everyone in here that that they know you and they want to just pursue you and connect their lives to you to make you the boss, the CEO of their life. And that's what we want. So I pray that as we sing this song, if you're tugging on anybody's heart, I pray they'll come forward and just seek you, pursue you. And if there's anybody out there that just needs special prayer, this is also a great time for you to come up as we sing and uh, go up to a prayer partner. They would love to pray for you no matter what you're going through. Father, we love you. We praise you. May you receive all the glory for everything we do. Our goal is to please God, not people. That's what we want to do. We want to see you be pleased today. That's our drive. That's our motivation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.